This is an exciting season in the life of our church. Over the past five years, Grace Life has grown by an average of 33% each year. We've had to rent multiple spaces in this warehouse park and now have expanded to three services on Sunday mornings. When you walk in here, there's just such a, a genuine feeling. And there was no, okay, well, we don't have to go to church. Or we're like, okay, when is, you know, when's the next service? And we kept coming. The things that we leave with, we use it throughout the week and we come back with those aha moments like we got it. Grace Life has a great legacy of seeing lives changed. And if we want to continue having this impact, I personally believe, and the leaders of Grace Life believe, God is calling us to take a crucial step, and that is to build our first permanent home. So together, let's be involved, let's pray, let's give, and we will reach our world. Good morning, how are you guys doing? That was weak. Last week, you guys were like, awesome, you were the loudest. Let's try that again. How are you guys doing? Yeah, maybe it was just a bad basketball day for you. All the teams that were the top ranked seemed to get upset yesterday. Is that what's going on? Or y'all just stayed up late watching movies or whatever. We're in part five of our series, Reach Our World. It's got really two very clear points to it. The first one is we want to help you have the greatest impact possible in the lives of those around you. We want you to be able to reach your world. And then we want to talk about the crucial step that we need to take as a church family so that we can do a better job at reaching our world. And what is that step? Thank you for asking. It is to build our first permanent home. If you're not aware, we are renting this space. It's a warehouse. We took down the garage door, put in some glass doors, and our lease will eventually end. Uh, but in the meantime, we're, we're planning for what God has for us next. And so when you might ask, why are we doing this? Well, the key reason is to make room for the people in our community that do not yet know Jesus. We have grown very, very rapidly, and we can keep that up for a while, but we're eventually going to run out of seats, and we're eventually going to run out of times of the day, and we're eventually going to reach a point where we need to do something. And the truth is you have to plan ahead. Now is that time. The second thing is because we simply need better facilities to do what God has called us to do. We've got children in separate buildings and and parking lots in between and, and running out of space. Uh, as you can tell, you're one of our smaller services. Look around how many chairs are left. And so don't come to 1030 ever, please. Thank you. And then most importantly is I believe this building will be a beacon for our community. It, it will be something that says come and find out what God is doing. It's going to be on one of the most influential, probably the most influential road in the northeast part of Columbia connects two interstates and just excited for what God will do. I think it'll cause people to sit up and take notice and check out something they would never consider checking out behind all the truck tires and the warehouse park and everything that you had to, uh, to go through. So what will be the result if we do this? We're going to continue reaching people and seeing lives change. So as we talk about that, I want to just remind you of a couple of key dates that are coming up. The first one is today. This afternoon is the last time we're going to have one of those meetings where we just sit down. We're calling it a, a town hall, but it's, it's not like what the Republicans and Democrats just did. This will be a fun one. And we'll actually give real answers to any questions someone in the crowd asks, just so you know. It's uh, Reach Our World Town Hall. We want to talk about how we're going to do this, all the details of the building, all of the, the behind-the-scenes things that we don't have time to talk about on Sunday morning. We've been doing these for several months. This is your last chance. So today at 3.30, we'll have some cookies and, and snacks. And if you come out, if you haven't been to one of those other meetings, please come and be a part of this one. 
The second date I want you to know about is next week. The next two Sundays are really, really important in this. Next Sunday is when we will come together as a church family and, and commit to what God is leading each of us to do to make this a reality. And if you were here last week, we gave out one of these to each person walking in the door. If you were not here last week, they're on the back of the row in front of you. I'd ask you to lean forward right now and pick up one of these off of that chair so I can talk to you about this. Because on the back of this, it, it, tells, it talks about money. And I want to make the same promise that I've made all along and that I made last week. When we fill these out next week, do not skip church if you're not interested. You do not need to miss what's going on just because you don't feel like God has called you to be a part of this. I have asked God for willing hearts. I don't want to, to, to talk anyone into doing something they don't feel like God's leading them to do. So next week you can sit here and write Mickey Mouse and all the zeros you want and the person beside you is going to think you're giving a million bucks. It'll be awesome. And then you'll be able to drop it in and, and it won't ever matter. So, so please don't skip. My promise to you has been and will continue to be no one is ever going to pressure you no one is ever going to call you and say, we didn't get your pledge card. No one's ever going to say, we got your pledge card and there aren't enough zeros. We see what you drive. That's funny. Come on. <laughs> Y'all are scared. You know me better than this. No one is ever going to do that to you here. That's my promise. So I only ask one thing in return, and that is that you will take this. This week, you've got one week left and actually talk to God about it. Are you willing to do that for me? If you'll do that, I'll keep my promise, and that will be awesome. And then the final date that I want to share with you is two weeks from today. It is the first time that we will actually begin giving actual money towards this project, and we're calling that our vision offering. And the reason that we're kicking, well, we've got to kick it off at some point, right? Let me tell you what's significant about that day. We have a businessman in the church who understands we need to get the ball rolling, and we're not going to be able to build until we get a certain amount of cash in. And so he's come to us and said, I want to help make that happen. And so he's giving a $200,000 matching gift. Every dollar that we give will be matched up to $200,000 in those first two weeks, starting March 13th and March 20th. So if God puts it on your heart to give something in, in 2016, all we're trying to say is if you can give it in December or in March, give it in March because it's going to get matched and it's going to help us get to the goal quicker. And that's his goal as well. That's pretty exciting. Y'all should have cheered. Somebody's given $200,000. I mean, that's not every day somebody tells me you're giving $200,000, so I was pretty excited about that. Back to our series, we began week one talking about God has a vision for your life. You were created for a very specific purpose. We want you to know what that vision is so that you can live in the fullness of that. Part two of our series talked about how as soon as you begin to discover the vision for your life, God is going to test you, not for him, he knows the answer, but when he tests you, it's holding up a mirror to see, are you surrendered? to him is the vision more important are things on earth more important is your summer vacation more important are your material things more important and so he will test you to reveal to you your level of surrender part three we talked about in order to fulfill any vision that God has for your life you're going to need to hear his voice and you need to hear his voice clearly and we followed that up last week with talking about what good does it do to hear a voice you don't actually follow the importance of obedience and talking about doing what God has actually called us to do. Today, I want to talk about how God is a God who does miracles. If you have a vision for your life, and if you've been following that vision, I can tell you this, it will be too big for you to accomplish on your own. At some point, you will need a miracle. If you've known what that vision is along the way, and you've already tried to accomplish that, you've already run into a point where you've needed a miracle, and God's had to show up, right? Anybody with me on that one? My wife and I decided to go to the Caribbean for our 13th anniversary. If you've been around here, you've heard some of our marriage stories. 
We had the, we had the marriage from hell. Is it okay for me to say that? And even on our honeymoon, we like stopped talking to each other. That'll tell you something. And, and that lasted for about a decade. So we had finally gotten our lives together, figured out how to live together without, you know, a knife in your hand in the bed at night. I'm just kidding. Never did that. Come on, y'all. And, and we had really learned to start to enjoy each other. And we decided we needed to redo the honeymoon that didn't go so well the first time. So we booked a great resort in the Caribbean. I'd never been. I thought, this is awesome, and uh, we'll give this a shot. And we had airplane tickets and everything, and we were ready to go, except there was a major accident on I-77 on the way to the airport. So by the time we get up to the desk to check in, they let us know that our plane is already full and boarded, and we are not going, because there's not another plane that day going to that island. I was bummed. And I said, God, you have got to do something Please get us on that plane. This is a true story, just so you know. And right then, this lady walks up to her and says, uh, the plane that he's getting on actually just broke down. They're going to have to deboard the plane. Well, that only solved half the problem. It was full. But it was full with standbys, and I'm a ticketed passenger. So when it goes to starting over, guess what? God did a miracle for me. Now, there's two people somewhere else telling this story, and it wasn't a miracle for them. In all reality, I don't know how much of a miracle that was. That was just a fun story. But I will tell you the truth. My wife and I had our first son, and, and our vision for our life has always been to have a lot of kids. It, it's just been a dream forever. When, when we got married, I said I wanted six kids at least. That was, that was the idea. I, I wanted as many as possible. I wanted to just, just have chaos in my house. Well, we succeeded at that part. And we just wanted, we actually had people who, who would pray for us and say, I believe God's given, given me a word for your family. Your family and your home is going to be like Saturday morning cartoons, and you, Jimmy, will be the biggest cartoon character. Well, that's probably true, too. And so when, when we decided to have, have children, we had our first child. It was like easy as could be. Next thing we know, child number two just won't come. And, and trying again won't come and won't come. And four years later, there's still no second child. And so then we tried fertility medication, and there was still no second child. Six years, and our, our first son is now six years old. And we finally get pregnant. And we, we were like, oh, yes, God's finally doing something, only to find out that this child has a fatal birth defect. A year later, by the way, we prayed for a miracle. And for whatever reason, that child did not live. But a year later, we were pregnant again. And my wife goes in for an ultrasound again. And the doctors tell her the same thing. They tell her this child will not live just like the last child did not live. We needed a miracle. And at that point, I have to be honest, I'm not sure how much faith I had for my own miracle. I wasn't the senior pastor at the time. The senior pastor had more faith for what we were facing than we did. And he led the whole church to begin praying with us. And we had a wonderful Christian doctor who who encouraged us, although he was legally obligated to say, because of the, the expectancy of this child and what we can see in the ultrasound, we recommend that you, you terminate, that you abort this child, because you're going to carry it to term only to not have this child live, which we had just experienced a year prior. And our doctor, though, as soon as we said, well, we don't believe in that, he said, well, good, because I don't either, but I had to tell you that legally. Now let me tell you how to pray. Let me tell you exactly what's going wrong inside of the womb and lead you in your prayers. And so between the doctor and between our pastor and between the entire church coming together, 
We have a nine-year-old son named Nathaniel who is anything except what they said. They said he would either not live or be in a vegetative state. How many of you have met my nine-year-old son? Is vegetative state and his name belong in the same sentence? God did a miracle. We needed a miracle. And then Caden and then Sophie and, well, truth be told, we have our six kids. Two of them are in heaven and four of them are on earth. Do you have a miracle story yourself? If you've tried to follow the vision for your life, I can promise you, you, you've encountered something where God has shown up and he's done something amazing and miraculous in your life. But if you're at a point where you're saying, well, I'm still kind of trying to figure out if God's even real because I've never had a miracle story. I've never had anything go the way where I can say, man, I was up against a wall and somehow the wall fell down. And if you have never had that happen, I want to tell you, I think you're missing out on something amazing God wants to do. Because I believe, based on what I see, our God does miracles. And I told you that story not to, to, to get everybody quiet. I know I got you quiet. But I wanted you to understand where we're coming from. We're coming from a place where we had to pray for the exact same miracle twice. And one time, God had a will different from what we, we wanted to see happen. But then the second time, God did do an actual miracle. I believe that God doesn't want miracles to be as rare as we think. Many of us think, well, if I live to 90, I'm going to need to see two miracles in my life. I think God wants to show up supernaturally way more often than we think that he needs to. I believe that he wants to appear in our natural world to combat our natural problems and override your natural solutions that you think will actually solve the problem to prove that he is actually a supernatural God. And most of all, I believe God likes for his people to end up in a situation where they can't do it on their own where they need a supernatural God to do something in their marriage. The fact that we're married is a miracle. I mean, that's another story, right? And, and it's funny, but I'm going to tell you the truth. It's, it's not. The changing of hearts that God did is incredible. I believe God likes to put his people in a place where only he can show up, only he can do what he can do to prove that he's their miracle God. This is what I believe in. What I want to show you today is what I see in Scripture that backs that up. So we're going to look at a story out of John chapter 6, we're going to read through that, and yes, thank you, babe. Look at that, 20 years of marriage, and she even reads my mind. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. And now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy enough bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, well, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, uh, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? <coughs> Sorry. Jesus said, well, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And so also the fish, when as much as they wanted. 
And when they had eaten their fill, oh, those are powerful words, aren't they? When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets of fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. They had more left over at the end than they had when they began. That's a miracle. I don't know if you know this or not. It's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. So I think if we're going to talk about miracles and what God does in miracles, it would be important for us to look at this one. I mean, there's a reason it's in all four Gospels, right? And there's something that you can miss as you read the story. You get all excited about, about what Jesus did and how he fed the 5,000. Maybe, maybe it's the most famous miracle of all. But I think that we can miss out on the, the recipe. You see, as you were reading this story, there were key ingredients required for a miracle. There's actually a recipe for a biblical miracle right here, and that's what I'd like to, for us to see this morning. And the first one is this. A miracle always begins with a need. I've preached before many, many times. I used to be a youth pastor. I'd preach it to my youth all the time. We all want miracle stories. Doesn't everybody want that testimony of how amazing God came through at the last minute and did something that if he had not have done it, you wouldn't be here today? Doesn't everybody want to tell one of those stories? Y'all know what's coming next, don't you? Nobody wants to be in that place where if God doesn't show up, you won't be here the next day. We all want the miracle stories, but we don't want the miracle circumstances, but you can't do it that way. Every miracle begins with a need. There's no such thing as a miracle if there's no need. God shows up in places where we are trapped and there's nothing else. In this case, you simply got a massive crowd of hungry people that you could never feed in the natural. You may not think it was a very important miracle. I'm just going to show you in just a moment why this miracle was so significant. But for some of us, sometimes the miracle we need is actually life and death. Or at the very least, it's life-altering. I know for us, a medical diagnosis that says your child will not live is life or death. And we needed God to show up. I've got a friend of mine whose his story is life-altering. He was a captain in the U.S. Army and was stationed here at Fort Jackson, had become a believer. I mean, he, he was the, the baddest of the bad. He had gotten himself in enough trouble. He had gone into the Army as a high school dropout, just enlisted. And, and what God had done in his life and brought him to the point where he was a, a captain and, and he had, had become a believer and said, I want to make Jesus famous. He was a ranger. I mean, he was, he was tough, dude. And God put it on his heart to get out of the army, go to seminary, and come back in the army as a chaplain. I know we're about 30, 40% military. You guys know what it's like. When you've got a guy who walks into the room as a chaplain, who's been a ranger, who is a ranger, and who was a ranger before being a chaplain, that'll, you'll listen to him, won't you? And so he knew that God had something for his life. So he got out and he went to, to uh, seminary and he got his degree and the problem is, with the way things work in the military, he got three years older in those three years. And he had spent three extra years as a captain, so you know how that looks. Now you're starting to get to a point where you're about to get promoted. And he needs to get back in by a certain point, but he needs a certain amount of experience and checking certain boxes that he didn't have. And I got a phone call from the people who were handling his case and said, you need to be prepared for his bad news. He doesn't have what it takes to get in, and he's going to find that out this week. Then why would God tell him to get out? To leave his security, to leave his career, get out and go to school, only to get back in when there's no way he's ever going to get back in within the window that the army has for him. 
And someone who had more boxes checked and had more things in order got declined that week. And I was waiting on his phone call. I was ready to go. And then he calls. I got in. And there is no answer for how that happened. To this day, we don't know how he got in. What we know is that God did a miracle. And what we know is that he's been making Jesus very famous ever since. His name is quite Elliot here as a chaplain knows exactly what's going on. This guy has actually had courses being taught about him right now in the chaplain school. Uh, you can Google his name. I won't tell you just for the sake of the moment. But uh, he's a, he's, God's done great things. There was a reason for the miracle. Us as a church, we need a miracle. Because that picture you saw earlier isn't free. It's three and a half million dollars. We need at least somewhere between one and a half to two million dollars to get a bank to even help us finish the project. Or we need all three and a half million to do this without any debt. And just for the record, we don't have that much in our current income flow or bank accounts. That's what you call a miracle, isn't it? But as I stand here and say that, I know many of you just went, well, why are we talking about this? We're not going to be able to do it. No, 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 I'm not done with my sermon. See, I don't believe that this means, when I tell you that we need a miracle to do it, I don't believe it means we won't happen, it won't happen. Let me show you what comes next. A miracle requires this also, an act of faith. And here's where the problem really begins for most of us. Many of us have experienced miracle circumstances, but we've never experienced the miracle because we've never taken the act of faith that is involved in what God actually wants to do. And then we get angry at God. And we blame God for not showing up. We remember the time that we found ourselves right up against the wall. And if God doesn't blow up that wall, we're not going to make it to the next day. And he didn't. And we were crushed. And whatever you thought you were supposed to do on the other side of the wall has never come to pass. And some people in this room today, maybe as much as half of us or more, are still angry. And hurt with God over something he didn't do that we believed he needed to do. But according to what we see in this story, God's not the one we should be blaming. And it's probably not God who didn't show up. I want to ask you this question. When I tell you the story of the feeding of the 5,000, now you got to go with your first answer. You can't think about it. And we're not going to shout it out loud, so it doesn't matter. But you're going to know. When someone tells you this story, and you imagine yourself, as you see visually in your, in your head, the story is playing out. Here's the question for you. Who are you? Who are you in the story? You see, when we look at the feeding of the 5,000, almost every person I've ever asked has said, I was in the crowd. I was watching it happen. Well, and that kind of makes sense because you're reading a story. It lends itself to putting you in spectator mode, doesn't it? Maybe as you were reading the story or hearing the story, you put yourself in disciple mode. After all, we're disciples, right? That would make sense. We're following Jesus. We kind of imagine if I were in the disciples' shoes, what would I do? I mean, maybe, maybe you're Philip. Philip is the pragmatic planner. He was the one who immediately started doing the math. Some of you just said, that wasn't me then. He immediately started going, okay, 200 denarii, that won't even buy enough. It, it won't even work. So I don't, I don't know what you got in mind here. That's not going to happen. Let, pragmatically, let's send them home. They need to eat. We're not going to be able to do that. I mean, uh, Judas over there, he has the money bag. We've already got questions about him as it is. I'm pretty sure we don't have 200 denarii in the bag. Send them home. Maybe some of us in the story are Andrew. 
He was the one who stood there and said, oh, 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 I found something. I found something. I got an idea. Look, here's a kid. He's got some food. He's got some fish. He's got some bread. This is... Nah, never mind. Forget my idea. <laughs> it won't do enough anyway. What was I thinking? Who am I? I don't know anything. I'll just go back over here and be quiet. Maybe you're one of the other disciples that just sat there going, huh, I'm just going to be quiet because every time Jesus asks a question and somebody says something, it's a trick question. <laughs> Who are you in the story? Until yesterday, I've asked this question many times and almost no one has ever said, and until yesterday, someone blew my sermon up yesterday. I couldn't believe it. For the first time yesterday, someone looked at me and said, I'm the boy. We're never the boy. We're never the one who has made his way to the front of the crowd, has the comfortable position, has saved all of his food, has been the smart one, has rationed it out. He's only been nibbling or not even eating at all. He has been prepared for the future and he's ready and he's sitting there and the disciples are close enough to him to see him which means he's close enough to probably touch Jesus and he's like come on what are you gonna do now what are you gonna do now I mean can you see like a kid in a candy shop this little boy can't wait to see what Jesus is going to do next and the disciples turn to him and go you want to give us everything you got for all the people who are just now showing up anybody want to be the boy in the story but here's the truth the miracle would never have happened without that boy's sacrifice. Because God wasn't into making this food just suddenly fall from the sky. God was into showing us this. It always requires an act of faith. And our problem is that most of us don't actually want to see a biblical miracle. We want to see a magic show. We don't want to be involved. We just want to sit back and watch God solve our problems for us and just take care of it. Now granted, in a miracle... There's at least, oh, I don't know what the number would be, but like 95% supernatural, right? I don't know if it's 99% or 90%, but there's some small little sliver where God says, here's what I want from you every single time. And so we started doing this little quiz with the, with the staff this week, making sure we weren't right. Name a miracle. Let's see if we can find out. And here's what I've discovered. Every single miracle includes instructions to humans. You believe me? I know I'm messing with your thinking. I'm messing with my thinking. I literally started off this week telling my staff this was the message I was least excited to preach. But by the time I'd finished preparing it, I was convicted and couldn't wait to do this. Because this showed me something I'd never seen. I realized I was praying for magic shows most of my life. Hey, God, I got a problem. Can you just show up and take care of it? Don't ask anything of me. God, I got a problem. Can you show up and take care of it? Don't ask anything of me. How about this? The little boy. He didn't just sit back and watch God feed 5,000 people. He actually willingly gave all he had. How about Moses? You've heard of the waters parting? I don't know if you know this or not, but he didn't sit back in a beach chair and wait till the part waters had parted. Moses got his feet wet. Everyone else may have walked across on dry ground. Moses got his feet wet. How about Jesus and the lepers that he told to heal? That he healed. He told them to go and see the priest. They weren't healed when they stood there. They weren't healed at the words. They were healed as they began to walk. How about the invalid on the mat that had been there for so long? Jesus looked at him and said, you're healed. Get up and walk. He had never got up. To even try to get up was an act of faith. How about the parents of the dead girl who came and told Jesus, our daughter is at home sick. Will you come and pray for her? But on the way, messengers from the home came and said, she's already dead, don't bother him anymore. And Jesus looked at him and said, don't believe them, 
believe me. And that was their act of faith because they did. They could have just said, no, look, they're right. I mean, what's dead is dead. What are you going to do about that? We've heard you heal the sick, but dead, dead's another thing. I don't want to bother you. You just go your way. We're going to go our way. They could have done that. But Jesus looked at him and said, don't believe them. Believe me. It was an act of faith. And you may say, what did you do with your son? I'll tell you what we did. You see, a year before, why did I tell you about our daughter? I'll tell you why. Because we had an experience that says God will not show up. And so a year later, when that doctor tells us we've got the same problem and that we should abort again, our act of faith was to say, no, we won't. No, we won't. Because what we told our doctor with our little girl was we will give God his chance. And even though he didn't show up, what we told God, our doctor with our son was, we will give God his chance. And we had every reason in the world not to take that act of faith, but it's that act of faith that allows God to move. You want to talk about the Israelites wandering around the desert in Egypt and manna falls from the sky. Come on, Jimmy, prove it there. What, what, how does that work? Manna fell from the sky. What did they do? They go up and like shoot the clouds with something? No. But manna wasn't falling from the sky when they were slaves in Egypt. They had to pack up and start walking. There is not a time where God shows up and does something that he does not include us, that he does not involve us. I want to show you this great quote. It's not mine. I don't get to claim it. It's a pastor friend of mine who says this. Without God, we cannot. But without us, he will not. We want magic shows. And God's not into magic shows. God is into the little boy who has everything that he needs. What is the point of us coming to a place where our face is against a wall and if God doesn't show up, nothing will happen? The point is to see us grow. The point is to hear his voice, do what he says, and watch him show up. Not to just sit back and see. Why did Jesus even do this miracle? I think this is really important for us to see. Do you actually believe anybody was going to starve to death? I mean, I don't really think that as I imagine this crowd that any of them were so malnourished that you could see their rib cages and everything as they came like kind of like the walking dead, like, okay, Jesus, we're going to die, please. I don't imagine that. I imagine pretty normal people out for a journey to go see Jesus on a Saturday. That's what I imagine. I don't think they were going to starve. They might have been hungry. But, you know, Jesus fasted for 40 days. We fast for a week. I'm pretty sure they would have made it home. Why did Jesus do this miracle? And I think this is what is so important. You may have completely missed the phrase, the Passover was at hand. You see, here's what was going on for those people. Every year, they celebrated a miraculous God delivering them before with with plagues and showing up amazing ways and then leading them through the desert and food coming from heaven and everything. This was the one time of the year that they remembered their God did miracles. And Jesus shows up and feeds 5,000 people who aren't even going to starve to death to say, and your God still does miracles. He's right here. That's the significance of what he did. But I think there's more to it than that. I think in addition to the fact that he was performing a messianic symbol to say, I'm the Messiah, I have come. And on this day where you remember what your God does, I am doing what your God does. In addition to that, I think we see him doing something else, and that is that he wants to teach us kingdom responsibility. 
You see, here's what his disciples said. His disciples said, send them away. We don't have enough food. And Jesus said to them, you feed them. They're your responsibility. You want to be my disciple? They came to see me, and you're my disciple. Take care of them. Don't send them away. That's not why you're here. I'm going to get somebody else who will feed them. They came from me. You take care of the people that I've sent to you. And I think that that's what God wants to teach us right now. We've been talking about the building, and I've never seen as much excitement at Grace Life as I have. But I'm going to imagine that just because there's more than two humans involved, that there's at least somebody who's thinking slightly different. And they're thinking things like, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. If we're out of seats, just, just tell people to go find a church that still has some. If we're out of seats, why should we have to, to go through this sacrifice? Why should we have to give up our money? Why should we have to be inconvenienced? Why does he keep telling me not to come at 1030? That's better for my sleep schedule. Why should I have to come early or wait and come at noon so that we have room for those people? Why are those people my problem? Well, just like the story. There is a crowd of people coming to see Jesus. And God has given us a very comfortable position up at the front. And he's given us some bread and fish. Some of us have more bread and fish than others. But he's given us some. I think God says this. I've put grace life here. I've put you here. I've surrounded you with a community, with a crowd of people who are tired and hungry and ready for a move of God. And they're going to come. They're going to come. Will you feed them? I think that's what God's doing. I've told you throughout the story. I've told you throughout the years, actually. We did uh, our prayer and fasting back in August, and we prayed for God to miraculously send us the money for the building. You know what I know now I didn't know then? I guess I should actually apologize to you because I did this wrong. I asked you to help me pray that a stranger will walk up and give us the money or that it will just, just appear like miraculously in the mailbox. I was actually leading you to pray for a magic show. Not a miracle. This is a miracle. The miracle is when every one of us figures out we've got to be the boy in our own story. I have prayed for a miracle million for three years. And now that I understand that phrase, I'm going to keep praying for it. Because no longer when I pray for a miracle million am I waiting on a lottery winner to just suddenly drive by and say, here you go. But see, together, as a family, if we each give whatever little bread and whatever little fish that we feel God is telling us to do, it will come up with being more than a miracle million. And just by the sheer population of our church, there are probably multiple people, this may surprise you, but the sheer population of our church says there are probably multiple people who have the ability to write a miracle million on their own. All I'm going to ask you to do is to ask God what he wants you to do. How would you be a part of this? So would you join me in praying? Not for a magic show, but for one or two or maybe even three and a half miracle million. Thank you for one head nod. Will you join me in praying for that? What are you going to do when God tells you what your part is? We've got to be the boy in our story. Moving on, third thing we see in every miracle is that it displays the power of God. Can you imagine what it was like to be there? And you know there's two fish in that basket. And you're not one of the first two people. I've been at those dinners where I've got uncles who try to get in the line first. And, and the, the kids don't get any fried chicken left by the time you get there. 
Can you imagine what it was like when you're watching? Man, I'm not going to get any. Look, the first guy just took a fish. Man, look at the second guy. He just took a fish. Look at the third guy. He's not going to. Third guy got a fish. Maybe I counted wrong. Fourth guy is going to get shafted. Fourth guy got a fish. Fifth guy. Sixth. How is there a fish every time somebody reaches in? Can you imagine what that was like to watch? Let me tell you another cool story. The power of God. A miracle displays the power of God. One of our elders and his wife decided they were ready to have a child. And then they were told they couldn't. After time and time again of trying to figure out why it wasn't working, they were eventually told this isn't going to work. And so last August, I don't know if you know this or not, when we led you to do a week of prayer and fasting, our staff and leaders actually prayed for 21 days. We did a week before you, a week with you, and a week after you. And during those 21 days where he fasted and prayed that God would give them a child, guess what? My wife went to her baby shower yesterday. And they've been trying for years many years again what was the act of faith they could have just said well we can't have a child the act of faith is when he fasted and prayed for 21 days god shows up he couldn't do anything more than that but he could at least do that and then the last thing we see is that a miracle blesses people and glorifies god no one ever is in the presence of a miracle and says well that stinks god blesses his people and god is glorified Everybody ate until they had their fill. Everybody had as much as they needed. And then what does the story tell us? That they wanted to make Jesus their king. A miracle blesses God and glorifies people. While that, while that list is on the board, I want you to look at that list right now because here's the thing. We don't have a problem with number one. When number one comes, we just accept it. It's, a, it's, a, it's the world. Maybe you get sick. Maybe you have a financial situation. Maybe something happens and you just say, okay, I've got a need. We're good with number three, the fact that, that the power of God is going to be displayed. We're good with number four, that he's going to, to do that. Where we've been missing the boat is on number two. We've been waiting on and praying for magic shows and we have not been willing to say, God, what do you want? I want to teach you something this morning. Next time you say, God, I need a miracle. If you don't show up, it's not going to work. I need a miracle from you. I want you to next ask this. What do you want from me? I need a miracle from you, and I know you're going to do something through something you're going to lead me to do. I might have only this much to do with it, but what do you want me to do? I think we have to start asking that question if we want to call it a biblical miracle. And I know many of us need a miracle right now. We need a miracle, God, to do something outside of the natural. We pray for my wife every day. I've got a lot of people praying for her. If you don't know it, she's wearing sunglasses, not because she doesn't like you people. She has massive headaches, and she can't stand the lights in here. It's, it's painful for her to even be here. And, and many days, she can't even make it without, without going back to bed for several hours a day. She needs a physical healing miracle. But she's also been saying, what do I need to change about my lifestyle that might be something God will work through? As a church, we need a financial miracle. The real question for every one of us this morning is, what is the act of faith that you need to do that God is waiting to use? You see, our God is a miracle God. And every one of us has a need. And if today you don't, yours is coming. What is the act of faith 
you need to do that God is waiting to use. I want to close by talking to one group of people this morning. I don't believe the greatest miracle is when someone gets up out of a wheelchair and walks. I don't believe the greatest miracle would even be to see someone sit up in a coffin at a funeral. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? The greatest miracle, actually, is when we come looking at God with a heart that says, leave me alone. And then something happens right here, and he turns our heart away from ourselves and back to him. Some of you, that's happening here this morning. Some of you, your heart's beating faster than it ever has. You know God is after you right now. You cannot wait for me to shut up so you can get out of these doors before you are trapped into responding to God. So I'm going to talk longer because I want you to respond to God. I want you to have the greatest miracle that you could ever have, which is an eternity in heaven, not paying for what you deserve to pay for. If you would like to respond, you don't have to stand up, come down front or do anything weird. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and you just pray with me. Would you all join me? Pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. I thank you for taking my place. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my prayer today is very simple. I pray that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.